Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 34. We will be looking at verses 1 through 31. Genesis 34, verses 1 through 31. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they, had heard, as soon as they heard of it, And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it, and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you And we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honorable of all his father's house. So Hamer and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, 
all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, She treat our sister like a prostitute? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a surprising passage to be found in your word and in the telling of your salvation story of your people. Please help us to see bad examples as warning against the love of sinning and not as excuses for indulging in it. Please give us new power, new love for you and your righteousness and a renewed heart to live after your righteousness as a result of being together around your word today. For it is in Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. So there's a boomerang effect that exists in all of us. But in order to understand it, we have to have a proper diagnosis of the condition. And in order to have a proper diagnosis, as any doctor will tell you, is you need more information. Now, we'll fall short of that today in trying to diagnose the chaos and the trouble and when people try to put the blame on where everything's gone wrong. Basically, the left in this country will put the blame on the external conditions of society, and that's what makes people evil. The right might say the same thing because we're talking politics here, but truly, where it comes from is the biblical notion that we were born with original sin and that people are not basically good, they are basically evil. And that evil comes from within, like Jesus says. What comes out of the mouth comes out of the heart. It is the heart that is offensive to God and the behavior. So which is it in your mind? Are you going to trust God's word? Are you going to trust what men with finite minds and fallen minds have to say? Because we all like to think we're pretty good, right? All of us, all of us, including the man up here, right? Standing up here behind this big wooden pulpit up above everybody else. The temptation is to think I'm so good. The Bible's saying, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, you're not. And so there is questionable morality here in this passage. In fact, that's what's going on in the argument between 
Jacob and his sons. Who was right? Who was wrong? So what's the issue here? It's this boomerang effect of what Paul calls in his epistles the flesh. Now the flesh doesn't mean the physical body. The flesh means that principle within you that you were born with as seed of the serpent that is fully and wholly against God. The flesh will not be reformed. There's no turning over of a new leaf. The flesh must only have one thing done to it. You have to kill it. And that doesn't happen all at once. So it's good to understand this as believers, that we have an enemy within. That is the spawn of the evil one that threw our first parents into sin. And we carry that spawn like a child of Satan within us that leads us to hear the voice of that father, the father of lies, who Jesus says was a murderer from the beginning. The boomerang effect of the flesh does great damage to God's covenant people. So how can we tell we're giving into the flesh in our interactions with others? Well, as we see in this passage, questionable ways lead to complicated days. Questionable ways lead to complicated days of detestable things and deceitful things and disgraceful or deceitful deals and disgraceful messes. First of all, we want to see if we're living in giving into the flesh. Now, this passage is not going to give you a comprehensive understanding of it. It's just one look at it. When we see bad examples in the scripture, a lot of people think that the Bible is giving an excuse for these things. Or, or how can you believe in a God that would allow this to happen? Well, God's a realist. And that's one of the reasons why you can trust God's word more than anything else. Because the Bible doesn't hold back on showing us the dark side of everyone except for one who wasn't dark at all. And that was Jesus. So the first of the questionable ways that lead to complicated days are these detestable things of verses 1 through 12. And the application, the takeaway, is to check your looseness in making ties with unbelievers. And I say your, I mean, I'm including me, okay? Why is that? It's not that we shouldn't ever have any ties with unbelievers. We live in this world. We're not called to be, like some people like to say, the handmaid's tale, the big scary handmaid's tale. No, we're not called to live like that, isolated out somewhere, away from the world. You know why? If you tried to get away from all the evil of this world and you built a bunker underneath, you know why that won't work? Because you took yourself with you. And in you is the same seed. And believe me, it will start going wrong in there just as much as it's going wrong out here. Because we are so dependent on God for change that we can't do it on our own. That's what this is telling us. So let's look at these detestable things. Check your looseness in making ties with unbelievers. Why? Just check it. Doesn't mean don't ever do it. There's certain ties you should never do. But there's ties that you have to do to do business and things like that. And you also may have family that are unbelievers. So you already have ties there. Why? Well, first of all, there are difficult dealings in verses 1 through 4. First of all, there is a wisdom deficit in Jacob's family. 
And it's right at the feet of Jacob. He's the covenant head. Not only the covenant head of God's people at this point, he's the covenant head of his family. And the wisdom deficit is that Jacob has been, you know, he's been a schemer all his life, right? He's just now kind of coming to grips with that. And his scheming ways left him no time to learn and to guide his family. He, did, he, he, he doesn't really appreciate the battle he's in. Genesis 3.15, key verse to understanding everything in the scripture. If you want one verse to guide you in the scripture, meditate on this verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman as God speaks to the serpent here. And between your offspring or her, and her offspring or your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There is going to come one who is born of a woman who's going to reverse all of this stuff and do everything that's necessary to take care of it. But until then, there's going to be this battle. Now, every one of us saved for Jesus was born into this world seed of the serpent. We become seed of the woman as God draws us to himself. We place our faith and trust in Christ and we are his adopted son or daughter. And he takes us just as we are. He doesn't leave us just as we are. Sometimes we feel like we're going backwards, but he's really just drilling down more because we really don't know where the depths of this thing goes. But he does, and he loves us. And so what we have in verse 1 is um, Dinah's going out where? To kind of hobnob with the women of the city. And what Dinah doesn't understand is that she is vulnerable. In verse 2, as she hobnobs, uh, hobnob, I can't say it, whatever, you know, out there with those folks. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and, and humiliated her. Now, there is a question here, and I'm not sure which way it goes. I, have a, I started out one way, but I have a tendency to believe that this was actually consensual. Now, we don't know for sure, okay? Hang with me here. I'm not trying to justify rape because this could be a rape, what, what's being described here. This could also be that she's been out. We really don't know. The Bible doesn't make it clear. The humiliation that's, that's being talked about here would have been a humiliation. It's objective humiliation. No matter how, how Dinah felt about it, she might have thought, this is great. I love this man. I want to I be with him. That doesn't matter what she thinks. It is a humiliation because they're not entered into the right covenant relationship. All right, so it's more like it could be, and I tend to think this is, now, again, this is debatable, but I tend to think that this is more like she had put herself and her family to public shame. Okay, so at the, at the very least, this is reflecting her cultural ignorance and her own self-awareness. Look, these people that they're hanging out with, you see in Genesis 10, 15, and I, I really shortened the verse because I needed to make room, but the basic, you can go back and look at it. The, the list of nations in Genesis 10, Canaan fathered the Hivite. That's what Shechem, in the city of Shechem, and Hamor are, they're Hivites which are descendants of the Canaanites. Do you remember Genesis 9.25 when Moses did not curse Ham, even though Ham was the one that offended? Remember, it's not Ham, right? 
not the people, not all the descendants of Ham were, were cursed, only the Canaanites. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be he be to his brothers. These people in this land do not have any real spiritual light at all. And so there's a cultural ignorance here in verses 3 and 4 that we see. She, she, we are called to discern what's going on around us. We are called to understand the times like the men of Issachar did in the book of, of Chronicles. So we are called to make sure that we understand the messages of our day. And I know this is hard, and we all do it at different levels. But realize, you're not supposed to just take in the messages, whether it's from our media, our movies, our music, or anything like that. Now, it doesn't mean you should never listen to it, but you're not to take it at face value. Why? Because you know it's seed of the woman. Every person's heart is with a fist up in heaven, saying, I want to do it my way. And boy, isn't that rampant through our culture now? Because identity is determined by what goes on in here, not by anything objective. A man can say he's a woman all he wants. You dig up his bone 500 years later, they're still going to be able to tell that that was a man. doesn't matter what was going on in his head. They wouldn't even know what was going on in his head when they discovered him. You cannot take the messages of this world at face value, you must evaluate. This is a warning why we should do it. Because Shechem is a sweet talker. He spoke tenderly to her, and I think he was sincere. But look at how he is after the fact, after he's done all the damage. Get me this woman for my wife, verse 4. Get, me, get her for me, Dad. He's a spoiled brat, isn't he? He's just spoiled rotten. And I think this is how Dinah was left vulnerable. She had no sure sense of her identity with God, which leads to deeper difficulties, verses 5 through 12. First of all, there are conflict-driven conclusions here. They're in, in other words, don't wait until you're in the thick of it to get to the, to the, to the right conclusion. Wrestle with it beforehand. And first of all, we see it in verse 5 with Jacob's passivity. He's got an inner conflict, doesn't he? More than likely. You see, it's a humiliation to him. But did she love him? He's wondering. And I'm, and I'm, I'm reconstructing here, so don't take this as gospel. This is debatable in every point. <laughs> this is one of these passages that you can go a lot of different ways. And I'm not, I am trying to give you God's word, and this is my best take on it. But nonetheless, his inaction and his family grounding them in their covenant identity has caught up with him at this point. Something else has caught him too. Something else. Look at his sons in verses 6 and 7. Now, are they right to be indignant and very angry? You betcha. You betcha. And so Hamer comes to speak to Jacob, the covenant head, and the sons move on, move, they start to move as they hear in verse 7 what's happened. And they have a very objective morality. They're indignant and very angry that this, and they say this outrageous thing must not be done. 
And if you want to see how this develops unchecked, just go forward to 2 Samuel there on your sheet, 13, 11 through 14. Now, this is, uh, I've took, I could have taken a whole big, much bigger passage here. This is David, David's son, Ammon, falls in love with his half-sister because he's had multiple wives and ends up raping his half-sister, okay, Tamar. But, and so they set up, he and his friends set up this ruse to make her bake bread for him. He's acting like he's sick. And he says, but so when he asked her to bring the bread, so verse 11, but when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me. Look at what she says. For such a thing is not done in Israel. The same thing that's said here. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And so on. She goes on. And he's even, look, verse 14. He would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. He's even worse than Shechem. That's what that passage is saying. Now, the sons give a glimpse of what they thought of their father in, in, um, in verse, um, verse 7 there, because they call her Jacob's daughter. They're like, Dad, you're not stepping up. You're not stepping up. As you, and they, they're right. Jacob's not stepping up as he should as the covenant head. So these deeper ties lead to a greater complexity in sorting out the truth between them, verses 8 through 12. First, we see the nudging of Jacob in verses 8 through 10, that the boys are trying to nudge him uh, forward, and then the catching up of the sin revealed in this impulsive, spoiled, rotten son, Shechem, verses 11 through 12. Because, look, Shechem just interrupts the whole discussion. His dad's doing all the talking. Of course, they're talking to the brothers now because Jacob is not stepping up. Dad's doing all the talking like he should, and Shechem just goes, hey, wait a minute, wait, okay, I will pay whatever, and he's just interrupting the whole conversation. He's so impulsive, so self-centered. So you got to check your looseness in making ties with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? There are two different principles going on here. You've got the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I'm such a sinner. Yeah, you got that too. And that's where your danger is. But you also got the light, and these people don't. Eventually, it's going to come head to head somewhere and somehow in some way. And usually, you know what ends up happening when we do this? We tend to capitulate and form ourselves around what they're saying, not the other way around, standing up for the truth. Look at what Paul says. This is the way it is. What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Check your looseness in making ties with unbelievers. Why? Because Paul diagnoses the situation. Galatians 5, 16-7. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then here's the thing. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You want, one time you want to do sin, and the, and the Spirit says, uh-uh-uh. And another time you want to do what's right, and the flesh goes, uh, you could have this over here. Understand and get the information you need 
understand the diagnosis. The boomerang uh, effect uh, of the flesh does great damage to God's covenant people. How can we tell we're giving into the flesh in our interactions with others, being conformed to the world? The questionable ways lead to complicated days and detestable things that we just talked about and deceitful deals. Sowing the wind, reaping the whirlwind. That's a reference from Hosea uh, that's against Israel. Israel just develops into this, okay? Why? Because they need a Savior and we do too. We need a real good, fully pure, covenant head that can get us out of all this mess. First of all, they have a deceitful use of circumcision, verses 13 through 17. You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We got some deceitful trees, Jacob. Actually, deceitful tree. His name means deceit. Deceitful apples in verses 13 through 15. Yeah, I think they were indignant. I don't know. They, certainly Simeon and Levi, because they were actually Leah's sons, and Dinah was Leah's daughter. So they had some stake in this and some tie. But they deceive in using circumcision. They make it a condition in verse 15. Is it a condition? Well, yeah. But is it merely the outward sign that's important? Look at the, look at the covenant there. Genesis 17, 8 through 10. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Isn't that lovely? That's exactly what God's going to do. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. And you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you, you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. What does it mean? means that heart to heart you belong to God. And all the covenant heads of that family. So represent, the idea here is not just to put the males in charge. It's the idea of teaching the salvation that is coming. We need somebody to represent us. The males get circumcised because they represent the family to God. They have much more responsibility. Not because they're any better at it. Usually they're worse. But they got to step up. And so do we, men. So do I. They have an empty heart with evil intent, verses 16 through 17. They're lying, saying we can be one people. Really? They're in the land. Of, these are Canaanites. And they have treachery planned in verse 17 because they have an easy mark in Shechem and their father, Hamor. And so then they, Hamor and Shechem engage. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of discussion of that. They have an ignorant use of circumcision. They just think, hey, make the sign, we get a bunch of money. It's basically what they're getting down to. Greed is the goal, or at least the selling point to the other guys in the town. All for Shechem's sake. Sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind, Jacob's de deception is falling out here and falling forward into all kinds of mess. That's what we're going to see next. The boomerang uh, <laughs> to the flesh in our hearts that happens, does great damage to God's covenant people. How can we tell we're giving in to the flesh and our interactions with others? Questionable ways lead to complicated days and detestable things, deceitful deals, and finally, disgraceful messes. Verses 25 through 31. And what I'm trying to say, I could have worded this better. 
Basically, whether you're doing nothing about it or something about it, without consulting your covenant-making God, leaves you vulnerable. Without knowing His Word, seeking Him in prayer, leaves you vulnerable. Why? Jacob did not step up and do what he needed to do with his boys, and they go to treacherous revenge. It's an unfair fight, verses 25 through 27. The men are secure in their city. They're recovering from this surgery. And they take advantage of it fully. And just, I mean, with the bloodlust like you never could imagine coming from the people of God. We, you know, in true crime stuff, you ever listen to a true crime podcast, I found out and learned about this thing called overkill. Like when the murder is especially brutal in the after effects, that was because it was deeply personal. Well, there's an overkill in plundering here. It's overkill in just taking advantage of the men, setting them up for this, and then taking advantage of them. Look, Proverbs is referring to this. There are things that the Lord hates. Six things, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among his brothers. So all of this sets them up. Jacob's deception, his, even though he's just now coming to grips with it, he really is truly a godly man, but he is given into the flesh a lot, and it has effects. Half truths applied by half measures. First of all, look at verse 30. There's a reasonable fear that Jacob has, right? They're just a small number of people, and they're living around with all these godless people around them. We could have done this in a little, little more wise way. Right? He has a point. That's why I'm calling this questionable morality. Jacob has a point. But there's a, there's a sign when we're driving out to, from uh, Demopolis going to Tuscaloosa like we do when we visit Kelly's parents. There's a guy who has a farm and he's got all these little animal sculptures out of hay bales, basically what he done. But he put three big words on the way. You read it as you're going toward Tuscaloosa. Acta non verba, which means actions, not words, right? And that's what the boys are saying to Jacob, Simeon and Levi. Hey, you didn't step up. Why didn't you do something? And they have a point too. But they ain't the an their answer ain't the answer. Somehow they needed to have this discussion way, way back. Not then. Look at what James says. What causes quarrels and, and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That means mutual hostility. You are courting God's at least disciplinary anger. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So how do we combat the boomer, boomerang effect? We engage in combating. I like the ING, by the way. 
That means we're always training. We don't have to have it totally right, but we need to set our hearts against this questionable morality, against overdoing acta non verba and overdoing passivity and disguising that as wisdom. How? It's all about your identity. Where are you getting your identity from? God's saying, look, covenant is this bond that I have with you. And it means something. I want to add a little more. It's not just the bond. It's a bond in blood. Someone must die because the covenant has already been broken. And it must mean something coming from a king. Coming from a king. So it's a bond in blood coming down from a king. Then you can be sure of his love for you. And that's what he's done for us in Christ. Look at Colossians 2 to, to wrap this up. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Paul is saying, get your mind set, fine-tuned. Is this uh, empty philosophy of the world, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world? He's saying there's a demonic element in this. And it's one thing it isn't, it is not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. You see, this is the covenant bond. Christ has come, God in the flesh, for you to bring you to himself. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head and of all rule and authority over and above everything. In him, look at this, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. You were, you were circumcised by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. What's that circumcision of Christ? Having been buried with him in baptism. Notice there's the connection. Just a side note. That's where we get our infant baptism from, connection of circumcision and baptism. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The very power of God that raised him from the dead is at work in you and lives in you. Believe it or not, don't be so down on yourself in your sin that you say, oh, I just can't. Well, yeah, in yourself you can't, but you've got the Spirit living in you. So do I. I need to be called to account for that too. Why? And you were, you, because you're, Jesus, it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead, verse 13, and you who were dead in your, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together, Having forgiven us all our trespasses, how did he do it? This is the circumcision of Christ. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That means the law that condemns you and me that we have broken God's covenant. What do you, how did he do it? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There you see it. The cross is the circumcision of Christ for you. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in open shame. Instead of Dinah and us being hung out to open shame before God, instead he went to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Where is your identity? Ground yourself in your identity in Christ through God's word and you'll be able to withstand the onslaught of this world and its lies and the enemy within you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you remind us of this warning against sinning. May we be realistic in our assessment of ourselves and seek to avoid not only the end goals of sin, but even the first stirrings of temptation welling up in our hearts. 
We thank you that we have a great starting point and resting place in Jesus, becoming our circumcision in our place. For it is in Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.